Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible. I'm Evan. And I'm Aaron. And this is a podcast where we read through the Bible together every year and talk about what we learned along the way. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and look up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington. You can find our plan there. And we also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And if you're jumping in with us today, we are on day 190. The big 190. Uh, so thank you for reading along with us. Don't forget uh, questions. If you've got them as you're listening along, uh, or maybe this is your first time and you, you've you got some questions about maybe some of the things we talked about today uh, or some questions just in general that you've read in the Bible or you've heard about the Bible, we would love to take time to answer those questions as much as we can week over week. Uh, and so there's three ways to get us those questions. One is an email. Uh, you can send an email to info at grove.church, put in the subject line a podcast question or direct message us uh, at the Grove Church on social media. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram handle, uh, both of which are the Grove CH. Uh, So you can find us there, DM us there, and get us those questions. It's true. Well, Aaron, this is another Psalms extravaganza. And I do believe... This is it. This is it. And there might be there might be a song that sneaks in later. I'm not sure, but I, I should actually just go. I should just go through and look and actually see. But for sure, for sure, listeners, we're not going to do another big week where it's like all psalms all the way. So we're going to hit through a bunch of them today, starting with Psalm 105. Uh, so Psalm 105 is part history lesson and part rejoicing in the goodness of God. It works through uh, starting with Abraham, and it ends up with the people of Israel taking hold of the promised land under Joshua. So essentially, it's showing God's faithfulness all the way from the first covenant that he makes with the people of Israel specifically, which is Abraham. Obviously, they're not called the people of Israel at that point because Israel hasn't been born yet. Uh, And then it takes them all the way through to God fulfilling his promise to bring them into the land of Canaan under Joshua. The psalm ends with these lines. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruits of people's toil that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. So a great deal there. I also love the line and this is going to come up a lot, particularly with the last Psalm I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, But he gives them the idea is God has given them this land so that they might keep his statutes, or in other words, so that they might be a people set apart and different from the nations around them because they are serving Yahweh. That's the idea, is that they're supposed to be different, and God has given them the land to do that. Do they always act that way? No. But, what? <laughs> but, Just you know, kidding. it's a good thing. Shocker. To, it's a good reminder. Uh, Psalm 106 is another history lesson psalm. Uh, Once again, it opens with the command to give thanks to Yahweh. However, this time it focuses on God's mercy in the face of people's sin. So his steadfast love um, in the face of the rebellion of his people. And these sins include Israel forgetting Yahweh while in Egypt, which is something that I've kind of noticed. I noticed it last year in Ezekiel for the first time. I just kind of always skipped over it. But I think part of it is the moment with... God revealing himself under the name Yahweh to Moses in the burning bush. I've always taken that as that's the first time that God actually gives his name, but it's not. It's the people have forgotten the name. So, because uh, that's the name that is used with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as well. Um, so, it is really interesting that there is an apostasy that goes on in Egypt. It's not as if the people of Israel are faithfully worshiping Yahweh completely in Egypt, and then God hears their cries after 400 years and brings them out because they deserve it. It, it. it seems like they are kind of, they, they know who God is a little bit, uh, but they have to be reminded when they're brought out of Egypt. 
Uh, the second sentence included in Psalm 106 is the idolatry that leads to the bronze servant. These are also out of order, which I thought was kind of interesting. They're not necessarily in chronological order. Uh, the rebellion of Korah, if you remember, that's when the ground opens up and swallows them in. The first known sinkhole. Ooh. Uh, Israel's apostasy with the golden calf. And so uh, I love I love this line in Psalm 106. It's, they made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal Im- image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Um, I love the line, they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass, because it's just a very direct but true way of saying that. Mm-hmm. Like that's exactly what happened. Uh after that, we're gonna we get to the ten spies that sucked. So remember, there's Joshua and Caleb who are great, <laughs> and then there's the other ten who are like, we can't do it. They're so tall, and so you know, God forgives the people of Israel there. Uh, the people listening to Balaam and worshiping Baal. We haven't talked about Balaam in a little bit, so I feel like he just kind of pops up randomly. He, he's a uh, is a bit of a minor character that has some long reaching effects. Uh, Moses. With the waters at Meribah, and remember, that's what prevents Moses from being allowed to go into the promised land himself. Uh, and then Israel uh, not completing the conquest of Can- of Israel, sorry, Israel not completing the conquest of Canaan and beginning to worship the gods of the Canaanites. Uh, so God's directive is drive out all the nations. This is your land. Take hold of it. But what we see in practice is that the Israel, the nation of Israel is partly the tribes of Israel, like the the ethnic Israelites, but it is also the Canaanites who they have allowed to live there. Um, and those those groups are together, and most of those Canaanites do not worship Yahweh. And so even this the idea of this is supposed to be a nation of people who worship the one true God, um, that never actually fully happens. There's always going to be, there's always remnants of peoples who are worshiping false gods, which is a big reason why the people of Israel struggle with worshiping other gods because they're living with people who do. Uh, and then yet, even after all of this sin, here's how God's res- God responds. And this is the end of Psalm 106. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those by those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. So that's how Psalm 106 ends. Uh, Psalm 107 Here's the deal, listeners. Uh, this week, I I dropped into the Israel Houghton sinkhole. I don't know what you call it, but like, <laughs> so every time I see like the Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. It's just like, it, it, there's an old, there's an older song. It's a good little vibe yeah, to you it. You are good. Like, Lord, you are good. And so- It's one like, of my favorite Israel Houghton songs. So uh, Israel, if you're listening to, thanks for that song. I'm sure he listens. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, there's like half of his music is just like, it's Psalms and we just put it to music. And so it's a good vibe. Uh, I enjoyed, I just kind of put it on Spotify as I was writing like a good chunk of these. Um, but yeah, so this Psalm also praises God for his steadfast love of his people. Uh, and the examples here are more vague than the previous two. So remember the first one, is talking about. Here's what um, we praise God for his goodness. Here's examples in our history of how he's delivered us. Here's examples of God in the history about how God has forgiven us for our sin. This one is more, they're more vague, but they're still obviously applicable. Uh, and they include references to those who are wandering in the desert, uh, those who are close to death, those deep within their own sin, and then those sailing the seas, which is kind of, it's not, that's not biblical imagery we get very often is sailing the seas, uh, but it is. Like in the, in the ancient mind, it's I, I've always talked about it, it captures the imagination because the sea is 
the best route for prosperity. Like the reason that that area of the world was so prosperous is because they had the Mediterranean Sea, which was relatively calm compared to being out in the open ocean. And then you can connect trade-wise that way. Um, So for nations and for individuals to build wealth, the sea is one of the best ways to do that. It's also dangerous. And there's also, and there's also like, especially for like, like we kind of ruined, um, not ruined, but you know, because we have such an understanding of so many things in the ocean, not nearly all of them, but we have a decent understanding oh, everything. of it. We know everything. Uh, we've kind of ruined the idea of sea monsters, which is like, <laughs> because like, you know, they exist. Like they're not like, you know, the Kraken or whatever it is, but like there's massive things that live in the ocean that would have been terrifying to observe. Um, and so we, we, you know, there's a- Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, there's a yeah, the old Nessie. Uh, there's a romanticism of the sea that is kind of lost in modern times uh, and a fear of the sea that's also kind the of lost Megalodon. in The Megalodon. The Megalodon. Yeah, dude. The, the Meg. Well, that exists. That's in the, the bottom of yeah, the Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The trench. They all exist. Oh, man. Uh, the psalm ends with reminding the reader that wise the wise will reflect on the steadfast love of God, which I think is a good, it's a good reminder for us today. Those who are wise reflect on the fact that God's love is always with us. It holds fast. Uh, psalm 108, which is a psalm of David. So I was like, why is it? Why is why is this in here? You know, this should have been in the David weeks, but you know, who am I? We didn't write the plan. Is it? Uh, yeah, this one and the next one are two. They're both Psalms of David or the ESV is lying to me, but that, <laughs> that's a possibility. <laughs> we both know that's impossible. Uh, and so if you, if you're just joining in listeners, I'm an ESV guy and Aaron's a CSV guy. So yep. sometimes we fake fight about that. Uh, but Psalm 108 celebrates God's victory that he has given Israel over the surrounding nations. And it seems to be made up of some portions of Psalm 57 and 60. So kind of a remix of a couple Psalms, if you will. Um, And as I talk, I guess that could be why it's ranked in here is maybe the idea is that this was compiled later of two separate Psalms of David and brought together to create a new Psalm. That could be. Uh, Psalm 109 is another Psalm of David. And this one, this one feels like a Psalm of David. (laughs) Like if you remember back to when we were doing those, half the Psalms of David are like, oh Lord, why are you so far away from me? I'm eating my tears. Like I just let me, you know, it's, it's, it's him just kind of darkness like, is my closest friend. Exactly. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Uh, and so in this one, David is crying out to God about the wicked who are after him. Uh, and it's an imprecatory Psalm, which means that it's asking God to punish his enemies. And it ends with these lines. Help me. O Lord, my God, save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord have done it. Let them curse you, but you will bless. Sorry, let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as as in a cloak. With my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. So there you go. Uh, Oh, sorry, I, I misspoke, listener. Psalm 110 is also a psalm of David, so there's three in a row. Uh, and so this is the last one, at least in my readings this week, uh, Psalm 10 shows God's blessings raining down on David and by extension, the future Kings of Israel, if they will follow the Lord, uh, this Psalm also includes the concept, which is going, this concept, which is going to come up much later in the year. Uh, but Psalm 110 verse four, it says the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Wow. It's kind of an interesting, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who's that? I don't know. It's weird. Well, listeners come back in like four months and we'll talk about that. I don't know when it is. It's going to be like, it's going to be in probably November is when we'd actually hit that. It's in Hebrews. Whenever we get to Hebrews, we'll talk about that. So, um, 
And I also love, it, it, it holds true, right? The idea that if the kings of Israel follow after the Lord, he's going to allow them to prosper. If you look at the, the good times, especially in Judah, it's usually when there's good kings on the throne. It's pretty rare that, that Judah's doing really well and there's a bad king on the throne. Uh, Psalm 111 spends the whole time extolling the majesty of God, so not a bad way to spend a psalm. Um, I particularly love this line, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Um, and there's a reason, you know, psalm is included in the wisdom literature. Not all of it is like, you know, straight up like, here's what is wisdom, but there's a bunch of psalms that deal with it. Uh, psalm 112 Speaking of wisdom literature, uh, Psalm 112 speaks to the blessings of the man who fears Yahweh and delights in his commandments. It's a little bit, it's kind of reminiscent of Psalm 1 a little bit in that, in that sense. Um, and I, I want to say this, think about that for a second. It's about the, someone who delights in the law or delights in the rules. Um, and we'll get to this when we get to the last Psalm that I read today, but that's, that's a, it's a stance that's kind of hard for us as modern Christians to understand, but I think it's an important one for us to try and understand. Um, and I love these lines in particular. Uh, this is Psalm 112 verses eight through nine. His heart is steady and he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. So essentially when you fear God, you don't have to be afraid of anything else and you can give freely, distribute to the poor, take care of people. Uh, Psalm 113 praises the Lord for his power and mercy. Not only is Yahweh high above all the other nations, he is merciful to the poor and barren. So it shows God's glory in the sense of his greatness over others, but it also shows his greatness and his glory in his mercy to others. Uh, Psalm 114 celebrates God's sovereignty over nature, and in particular, the Jordan River, which is kind of interesting. But of course, the Jordan River is the largest river in Israel, so it would occupy um, the headspace of anyone writing in those times. So it would be like, I guess the Mississippi in the U S although it's hard because the U S is so big. We have a lot of big rivers, but when you go to smaller countries, they'll have like, if you think of the Rhine in, or is it the Rhone? No, it's the Rhine in Germany, the Volga in Russia, you have the Thames in uh, Britain. There's a bunch of kind of big rivers that occupy uh, the headspace of people who are writing. Uh, Psalm 115 shows how God is glorified through his relationship with Israel. While the other nations worship false gods, Israel worships the one true God. Um, and then interestingly, this Psalm uses the phrase, the house of Aaron, which uh, would be a clan within the larger tribe of Eli, uh, not Eli, the larger tribe of Levi. Uh, so remember the Levites are the priests. Not all Levites are priests, but all the priests are Levites until we get to the order of Melchizedek in November listeners. Um, but it's coming, <laughs> it's coming. Uh, but the house of Aaron would have been like, this is the, the Aaron being the first high priest. This would be a specific clan within the larger tribe of tribe of Levi. And so it's kind of interesting that the psalmist, and there's a couple times in, in my Psalms where this happens, where he's singling out, uh, that specific clan. Uh, Psalm 116 shares how the psalmist loves Yahweh, and it is a beautiful retelling of the marvelous work of God. I love how it starts. Uh, this is starting in verse one. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O Lord, to your soul. Return, O my soul, to your rest. 
for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. I mean, I, you could end the psalm there, and it's it's still like amazing. I, I love those lines, but essentially just rejoicing in the fact that God hears us when we cry out, that he saves us, um, and that he is faithful to us. It's it's an awesome way to look at it. Psalm 117, uh, I mean, here it is. It's, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Uh, what was just read is the shortest chapter in all the Bible. That psalm is two Woo-hoo! verses. Uh, and it is followed almost immediately by the longest chapter of the Bible. But we're not there yet. We're going to go to Psalm 118, and then we'll get to Psalm 119. Uh, Psalm 118 continues with the refrain, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever, uh, which again, it's just kind of uh, a <laughs> song stuck in my head. Uh, a couple highlights from this one. This line really made me think of the failings of many of the kings. Uh, so this is verses eight through nine. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust a man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Uh, and this is a when you read through the kings of Judah in particular, but also this happens to the kings of Israel. Um, one of their big failures is even with the good kings, they make foreign alliances. They rely, they're relying on other nations to try and protect them uh, when they should be relying on the Lord to protect them. Uh, and then this line comes up later, which uh, again, speaking of things that are going to come up in a few months, uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Um, two things there. One, obviously the cornerstone thing that's going to, when we get to the gospels, that's going to come up here. It's, really? Yeah. I, I didn't know that. It's, I feel like I keep trying you to mean like, the Bible ties together. It's like, it's almost like <laughs> the new Testament fulfills the old Testament. I don't know. Uh, and then also this, this is the day that the Lord has made. I was woken up to those that to that song a bunch when I was a kid, where like my mom would just come to the room like, "This is the day. This is the day that the Lord." I'm like, mom, yeah, I don't know. This is trying to start it off on the right foot, I guess. Which is why you're so grumpy. Got it? It's true. All right, don't wake me up with that praise. Well, listeners, just kidding. Sorry, Annette. This is the big. This is the big one. This is the big psalm. Uh, psalm 119 is the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter of the Bible, and it is longer than a good chunk of the minor prophets and the epistles. It's a very, very long book. It's very true. Not book, chapter of psalm. It could but be its own book. It's true. Yeah, you could. You honestly could just slap this into the wisdom literature. It's. I think it's longer than Song of Solomon. So you know, Solomon, Song of Solomon gets its own book. Uh, it is. <laughs> And here's the thing. Um, it's beautiful. And I think of almost any Psalm, this one loses the most in translation, which is a bummer. Uh, as we, And it's still beautiful in English, but, and I, I say this as someone who doesn't read Hebrew. Um, if you can read it in Hebrew, you pick <laughs> up, you know, there's a ton of stuff in here that you're going to miss because it's been translated out of it. At least um, we think. Yeah. Well, not we think. I'm I mean, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, you just said as someone who doesn't read Hebrew. Oh, that's true. You know, theoretically. I think that's what happens. I guess I'm trusting on other people who read Hebrew and have broken it down. So maybe they're all lying to me, which in that case, you know, oh, that would be a bummer. Uh, so you'll notice odd headings at the beginning of each section. So these are the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And e- so there's 22 stanzas within Psalm 119. And each one, it's letter alpha, it's lettered alphabetically, 1 through 22. Um each stanza has eight verses. So it's very mathematically like it's it's structured. The the poet, the psalmist in this in this moment is limiting himself very much so. Um, and then as originally written, each verse starts with the letter at the top. So the first letter is, is Aleph. That's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Every verse 
in that stanza starts with the letter Aleph. And then when you get to the second word, the second letter, which is Beth, yeah. um, every single one starts with the same letter there. It's like an overly done acrostic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in English, we don't see any of that. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's all completely lost on us. So it's a bummer. Um, but it, it's, it kind of, it helps explain a little, because some of it sounds a little bit weird because the psalmist is purposely trying to fit everything yeah. into this. Um, but it's really cool. I think this is structured unlike any other part of the Bible that we get. So it's cool that it's laid out this way. Uh, and then this Psalm is the, a celebration of the law, uh, which is important for modern Christians to realize. And so, and I, I alluded to this a little bit before, but when we read the Psalms and we talk about, I delight in the word of the Lord, right? Um, it is appropriate for us as Christians to take that into our context and to say, I delight in all of scripture. Um, and that that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But we also need to realize that when this is being written, what that means is I delight in the law. I delight in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, those are the books that they have at this point. Um, maybe some of the early history books, but when he, it's, it's particularly when he talks about the law, he's talking about the rules. I delight in the rules of the Lord. I delight in the ways that God has come and he's separated us from the other nations and he said, this is what we need to do. Um, and because we're on the other side of Christ where the law has been fulfilled um, and we don't have to try and hold each each and every individual law, which is obviously a very difficult thing to do. Um, and we've kind of been rescued from our own inability to keep the law. Sometimes what that means is that we have a view of the law as if, as if it's bad, as if, yeah, this was the bad thing that came before the good news of Christ. Um, and I would say the new covenant is better than the old covenant, but that doesn't mean that the old covenant was this awful thing, right? It, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and I love that the psalmist here is recognizing the beauty and the wonder within the law of God. Uh, so I'm going to give, I'm just going to highlight a verse or two from each of the stanzas and then kind of go from there. Uh, so Aleph, this is first, and this is, uh, the verse that stood out to me here is, you have commanded uh, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Um, and I can't help but think of it's, it's uh, Nadab and Abihu, right? Those are the sons of Aaron who were killed in Leviticus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it makes me think of them or, or Uzzah who is killed for touching the ark, right? It's they, the reason they die is that they don't diligently keep the commandments to the letter like God had commanded them. Uh, second letter is Beth. Uh, and the ones that stood out to me here is with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, that's Psalm 1911 at the end there, which is, that's one of the ones I memorized as a kid. The way I memorized it was I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, but it's a very good reminder just to kind of keep, it's one of those that is, it's just a good, it's just a good reminder. Do we hide, do we hide the word of the Lord in our hearts? Uh, the next letter is Gamel. Uh, and I just thought this language was interesting. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Um, and again, one of the parts of the law that doesn't get talked about in modern times as much is the people of Israel were commanded to be incredibly kind to foreigners. Like when people wandered into the land of Israel, they were supposed to treat them with the utmost respect. Um, and so the psalmist here realizing that they are sojourners on the earth, or in other words, this is not their permanent home, which mm -hmm. is kind of an interesting thing for the old covenant because it's not talked about very much, but I thought that language is really interesting. Next letter is Daleth. Uh, and this one stuck to me here is my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Or in other words, even when we're at our lowest, the law, the word of God can bring us life. Uh, next word is he or he. I'm not sure how to pronounce all these. 
Uh, but verse 40 stood out to me. Uh, Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. Uh, next one is wa. Uh, this one is verses 46 to 47. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Next letter is Zayin, uh, verses 49 through 50. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Um, I love particularly verse 50 where it's, this is my comfort in my affliction. Or in other words, when we are at our lowest, when life is painful, we can remember the promises of God. We can remember the joy of our salvation. Next letter is Heth, uh, verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I just love the, the language and the metaphor of the Lord being our portion. That is all that we need. Uh, next letter is Teth. Uh, and this is, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Um, I just think that's really interesting. The idea of it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Or in other words, recognizing that sometimes God uses pain to draw us to him. And that that's, and that's not something that is a bad thing. That's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me, I, this is years ago, I heard this story, but it was someone who um, was diagnosed in their early twenties with, I believe it was leukemia. Um, and talking about how, and they were on, they were on their deathbed. They passed away uh, a short while later, but talking about how they wouldn't trade it for anything because they never took their faith seriously. Um, and just talking about how God had used this disease to strengthen his, his relationship with God, which I thought was just a, a beautiful perspective to have there. Uh, next letter is Yod or Yod. I don't know. If, I don't know if that one has the phlegm there or not. Uh, and this is verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I might learn your commandments. Or in other words, recognizing that we are created by God and therefore it is right that we should want to obey his law. Uh, next one is Kaf. And this is in your steadfast, in your steadfast love, give me life that I might keep the testimonies of your mouth. Um, or in other words, it's kind of like I put in my Bible as I was reading this. Um, it makes me think of the, uh, oh my gosh, what confession of faith is it? I don't remember now. Is it the Westminster Catechism? Anyway, sorry. Uh, and this is important. What it says is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy his creation, right? Uh, and so it's interesting to me here, like what in Psalm 119, especially under the old covenant, what's the idea here? It's the, you give me life so that I might keep the testimonies of your mouth, so that I might keep your law, so that I might be set apart. Like this is the purpose of my life here. Uh, next one is Lamed. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that letter or not, uh, but I just love, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. I cannot remember. I listened to it. So my, my grandparents owned a Christian radio station in Illinois. Um, and so when I was a kid, Back, back in the day, there weren't digital files. And so they would have cassette tapes. And so once they played them, they were, they were done. They didn't need any more. So they would send me boxes of like the kids, uh, Christian radio shows. And that's what I, I would listen to. So I don't remember which one it was. Uh, there's a very high likelihood that it's Adventures in Odyssey because that show slaps is awesome. Um, but I just remember like it's a kid is being scared and he just keeps quoting Psalm 119.94 as I am yours, save me as he's walking through uh, whatever the situation is. So that one always stands out to me. Uh, next letter is Mem. This is Psalm 119.103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so again, in the wisdom literature, you're going to see this a lot, whether it's wisdom or the law of God being compared to things that are precious, right? And so honey is a very precious thing because it's very sweet. There's really nothing like it, uh, particularly at this time. Um, 
That's like candy. Yeah. For us today. It's it's like a sweet treat. It's it's a replenishing, rejuvenating treat. Um, so even today we see the benefits of honey for us as well. But uh, it was a very significant um delicacy back then, I guess. Well, yeah. And, and particularly in a culture where you're, you don't have, you know, candy, you don't have like right now, if there's we no want, such thing as cake. Yeah. Back right, then. right now, if we want something sweet, we can go anywhere we want. Like back then it's much more rare. And so, uh, it's, it's similar to the lines where they compare it to, uh, um, like wisdom or the law of God to more being more precious than silver or gold. It's a similar thing there. Uh, next letter is none. Uh, and this is another famous verse. Uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I said unto there because that's how I memorized it. But the SV actually <laughs> says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, the next letter is Samek. I don't know if there's a phlegm one there or not. Uh, it says, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments. And so it also brings in that other side of it, right? It's, it's, it's wanting, to, wanting to obey the law of the Lord um, because the Lord has been merciful to us, but also recognizing particularly... Um, under the old covenant where the, the idea is, is very much, if you keep breaking covenant, then the nation is going to fall. And so I, I think Israel and Judah would have been a lot better off if they had uh, listened to that part of God's promise as well, because there's uh, they were a lot of them were convinced that that was never going to happen. And spoiler alert, it does. Uh, next letter is Ion. And I put, uh, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. So kind of a sister verse to the, the verse about honey there. Uh, next letter is Peh, and this is make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Um, reminds me of the the famous, is it Deuteronomy or Numbers, where it's the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Uh, it's Numbers. It's Numbers. There you go. No, I love how it connects it there. Uh, the next letter, oh man, Tasha, Tasha. <laughs> I don't know. T-S-A-D-H-E is how, is how it's spelled. Uh, my zeal consumes me because I, because we have my foes forget your words. And so the righteous anger of people not following the law of the Lord. Uh, next letter is Kopf. And this is, I call to you, save me that I may observe your testimonies. Again, the, the point of being saved is not just, I want to be alive. It's that, let me continue to glorify you. Uh, next letter is Resh. And this is look on my afflictions and deliver me for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Uh, next ones are sin and shin. And this is I rejoice at your word like one who finds a great spoil. And so again, it's like, you know, it's imagining like as you're after the battles happened, you get to go through, loot the enemy camp, you bust into one of the tents and all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, this is awesome. Like you get to find the horde or, or you know, maybe you're Benjamin Gates at the end of National Treasure and you get into the uh, the room with all of the, uh, what is it? The treasure of the Templars in there. So we just watched that movie the other day. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. I like, I really like both of them. I love that's National, just me. I love National Treasure. It's awesome. Uh, and yeah, second one's not bad. It's, it's not as good, but it's not bad. Uh, and then the last letter is Ta. And then the ones that start to me here are my lips will pour forth praise for you. Teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. So there you go. Psalm 119. That's going to be the only thing you read that day, listener. It's a long one. It's very true. Uh, but it's beautiful. And I love I love the unique way that it's laid out. I Like I said, I wish there was a way to bring it into English better, but alas, it's not really possible. So here we are. Or maybe it is. And maybe with our lifetimes, you know, we haven't cracked the code in a few thousand years, but I guess it, we haven't been translating the Bible into English for a few thousand years, but we haven't cracked the code yet. Maybe there's a way to do it. 
All right. Well, listeners, uh, we're not quite done. That's my half of the readings today, but Aaron's going to jump in here for a little bit. Uh, but before we do, we do want to take a moment to leave, uh, not leave. We want to ask you to leave a five-star review on whatever podcast that you are listening on, whatever podcast app you use, particularly Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Spotify, we're getting close to 200. I think we're at 199 last Yeah, we're time, just right? about 200. Yeah. Oh man. So if you, you listener listening right now, you could be the 200th reviewer. Yes, if you listen on Spotify, just go hit like right now. There you go. Uh, and then if you're on Apple Podcast and you... you just can, kidding. We're 201. I just 201? Looked. Oh. Just kidding. Hey, I, you can't be the 200th <laughs> <laughs> reviewer anymore. But That's hey. crazy because yesterday, when, as of recording this, right? Yesterday was only... 199. So oh, there you go. Hey, thanks listeners. I wonder if someone was competing. I want to beat the 200. Maybe. Uh, and then in Apple podcast, you can leave a written review. And if you do, we'll read that on the podcast just because, you know, we like to give our listeners a good shout out. Um, and I guess speaking of reviews, personal reviews, um, if I, last week we talked about uh, the book I've been working on with Job came out. So that is suffering and silence. I need to keep enunciating the and because people type in in. Uh, suffering and silence. And then the subtitle is Job's struggle, God's voice and our response. Uh, if you like what we've talked about on Job before and you want to check it out, that would mean a lot to me. It'd be awesome. Uh, and then speaking of things that would mean a lot to me, if you want to go on Amazon and leave a review after you read it, let me know what you think. Uh, but obviously just like the reviews help get the podcast out there, the reviews help get the book out there. So if you want to do that, that would be awesome. Well, Aaron, do we go, I, I haven't looked at your week's reading. Are we just powering through in order, like through the rest of the Psalms that we missed? Or uh, how does it work? Yeah, pretty much. So from 120 all the way to 150. Because I noticed I did, oh, are you? Okay, yeah. Because I did 105 all the way through 119 without skipping it. Yeah, so, so this is this is now covering the remainder of the Psalms. Which Here we is, go. Which is why I'm pretty confident that it won't be, like, we're not going to probably hit any other Psalms this year. Alrighty. Which is a little sad because Psalm, I told Evan, like Psalm, I like our Psalms episodes because it's. It's fun to read through them and we can kind of slow down a bit because I feel like other episodes, we kind of have to rush through a bunch of information. Right. But um, So the Psalms episode, yes. So we start, uh, I guess my section is Psalm 120. And I will say this, my book is supposed to arrive today by 8 p.m., Evan, just so you know. <gasps> Ooh. But so it'll be here. But uh, if you haven't ordered it yet, uh, I would just love for you to go do it. Bless my friend. But at the same time, it's just a, a great resource that's worth worth your time and worth your money. So check it out, uh, leave a review uh, and grow that reach as well with that book. So uh, jumping into Psalm 120 today, uh, this is actually the first Song of Ascents. If you aren't familiar with what the Song of Ascents is, these are Psalms that would be sung by the community of people as they are pilgrimaging, pilgrimaging uh, to Jerusalem uh, to be there for Passover, to worship the Lord collectively. If you remember throughout the Old Testament, you'll see different fest festivals that were created. Um, I believe there were three, uh, like all like festival, like all people festivals that were happening. So this would be pilgrimaging to the city of Jerusalem to be a part of these uh, festivals. Passover is one of the biggest ones um, to offer worship to the Lord, offer sacrifices at the temple. Um, and so these are the Psalms that would be recited by the community of people. Um, and also just a quick reminder, like whenever we see even a word or two or a phrase or a sentence from the Psalms in the New Testament, it actually would draw all of God's people's memories back to the Psalm entirely. Uh, so it's not something that they're just hype or eisegeting where they're taking a passage out of a Psalm to highlight that one passage. They're actually drawing reference to that entire Psalm. Uh, and especially when Jesus does it, he's actually drawing reference to that Psalm, but also identifying how he fulfills uh, the promise or the hope or the truth of that Psalm too. So quick little update lesson for you. 
Uh, Psalm 120, first of the Song of Ascents. We're going to crank through the remainder of the Songs of Ascent that we haven't hit yet. Uh, this one is an individual lament. So it was sung by someone, someone living far away from Israel whose distress concerns uh, the way deceitful people are stirring up war uh, while the psalmist desires peace. Um, so they would realize worship in Jerusalem is a remedy for this problem, which is why you see it's the first of the songs of ascent, uh, because it would be a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship together, uh, which would be the remedy to the, the lament and the concerns about the deceitful people. Uh, and since it's the first of the songs of ascent, I'm going to read it. It says this, uh, verse one, it says in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me, Lord, rescue me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What will he give you and what will he do to you, you deceitful tongue, a warrior's sharp arrows with burning charcoal, exclamation point. Uh, so he answers his own question. Verse five says, what misery that I have stayed in Meshech, that have I have lived among the tents of Keter. I have dwelt too long with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are, they are for war. Um, so he's lamenting living among people who were not in the same mind or the same heart as him. Uh, and he is calling out to God for mercy in the midst of that. Psalm 121 carries the intention to encourage confidence uh, in those who are making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, and then the successful journey to Jerusalem becomes, in essence, the parable of one's life where they can be confident in God's unending care because the journey was hard. Sometimes it was filled with robbers. Sometimes it was filled with thieves, uh, which are the same thing, different words. So I'm trying to expand your vocabulary. There you go. Um, but it would be this journey where it was dangerous. It was treacherous. It was hot. It was the journey was not always easy. Uh, and so when they would arrive in Jerusalem, it would be a reminder of God's faithful care and provision and protection as they journeyed to Jerusalem and from. So it would evoke courage and hope and confidence. Uh, Psalm 123 is a community community lament. So this is a corporate crying out to God. Uh, and the situation here is where the pilgrims feel scorn and shame uh, as being followers of God. Um, and the shame then, and the scorn that they would feel either came from un the, the unfaithful in Israel, in other words, those who are not following their following God themselves, which would be their own people. From their own people, they feel scorn and shame. Or it would be from Gentiles who are people outside of their community uh, as they're passing on the way to Jerusalem where they would feel ridiculed, they would feel uh, scorned and shamed in the midst of that. Um, and it goes beyond just asking for safe passage, but it ask, actually asks for relief from scorn that they're facing and feeling on the way to Jerusalem. Psalm 125 is a psalm that would encourage confidence in God's people, uh, in essence, that the remaining loyal to him really is worth it. Um, and it's this picture of Zion being surrounded by mountains. It's actually a very powerful image of protection and provision. Uh, and so I'm going to read this psalm for us. It says Psalm 125, verse 1 through 8, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. It cannot be shaken. It remains forever. The mountains surround Jerusalem and the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous so that the righteous will not apply their hands to injustice. Do what is good, Lord, to the good, to those who, whose hearts, hearts are upright. But as for me, as for those who turn aside to crooked ways, the Lord will banish them with the evildoers. Peace be with Israel. And so it's being sung with this picture in this great city and this great mountain of God in mind, being surrounded by mountains where it would be, e it wouldn't be easy, but it would be possible for uh, people within the city of Zion to then cross the mountains and go live among uh, outside of the, the city of God, but really to get to the city of God to 
uh, pillage it, to destroy it, to conquer it would be very difficult because of the mountain passes that would require you to go through. Uh, so there's this picture of provision and protection for those who remain faithful and remain in the city of God. Psalm 126 is a community lament that recalls a previous time of God's mercy on his people uh, and asks for a fresh show of that same mercy. Um, there's not really a specific uh, declaration of what particular mercy or crisis is in view, um, so it makes it well-suited for a variety of comparable situations. Um, it does allow one who recites it or the community who recites it to take hope in God's faithfulness that's rooted in the previous acts of mercy uh, and then to ask and then to ask him for more of it. Um, so we remember, in essence, when we recite it, the goal is that we would remember God's mercy, remember God's provision, uh, and that we would then be encouraged to ask God to do it again in the coming situations or coming days. Uh, so that's Psalm 126. Psalm 128 is a wisdom psalm that actually builds on Psalm, psalm 127 of Solomon. So there is part of me that wonders if these psalms go hand in hand, even though Psalm 128 doesn't have Solomon's signature to it. Um, but it takes the, the the idea, or it could have been written after Psalm 127 and the, the new psalmist writes and takes a further description to the man's blessedness that's referred to in Psalm 127. So as you read them through in chapter order, they go hand in hand. In chronological order, they're separated. Um, but it, in a sense, it show, the ending of this psalm uh, shows that neither wisdom or blessedness are individualistic. Both relate to the well-being of God's people. Uh, and so I want to read uh, this Psalm for us as well. It says this, Psalm 128, verses 1 through 6. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And a reminder, I think I mentioned this last week, but when you read in the CSB, it says happy. Um, another, it's a translation of blessed. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord? It's how happy. Because in essence, we are blessed because of God's provision, because of God's work, which evokes happiness, which is where we find the true source of our happiness is in Jesus. So, um, Verse two says this, you will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Uh, your wife will be like the fruitful vine within your house, your children like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and will see your children's children. Peace be with Israel. Uh, so it's just a beautiful psalm there of the hope and confidence we can have from remaining uh, connected to God and his provision. Psalm 129 is a song of confidence for the community of people as it reflects on what God's people have endured and how God has sustained them. Uh, it celebrates God's sustaining presence and asks God to sustain God's people against those who would harm them. Uh, is Being that it's a song of ascent, it was well suited to remind God's people to not take their privileges for granted. Uh, Psalm 130 uh, is an individual lament expressing patience and trusting God's mercy. Uh, so when we read this, we'll see the penitential elements, which are these elements of, of righteous sorrow or of righteous grief. Um, these penitential elements are intended to bring worshipers to the revelation of the, the as people, their only right to enter God's presence lies in his mercy, uh, that they are a forgiven people. Uh, and so it's meant to be this revelation uh, of God's provision uh, of God's faithfulness, of of his forgiveness, and as forgiven people, they can then enter God's presence uh, in light of his mercy. Um, so that's Psalm 130. Your final one, Psalm 132, it's a royal psalm. And whenever it's a royal psalm, if you remember, again, it's talking about, typically it's Div the Davidic line of, of kings. Uh, and Because the other lines suck. Yeah, they, they're, <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, but you'll see this tension where, not this tension, but the celebration of God's promise, his covenant to the house of David to establish the throne in David's line forever. Uh, and so it draws back 
to that covenant. Um, and which in essence for God's people is a, is this picture. It's a dynasty for good. Um, and eventually for the good of the people, as well as the world, um, most of this Psalm you're going to find expresses confidence in following God's promises. Um, and, it, and the requests are for God to carry out his purposes. Um, you'll find as a song of ascent, the Psalm recalls how the dynasty of David is to ensure the stability of the realm of Jerusalem and God's people. Um, so in essence, you're just going to see there's a, there's a reminder as you're ascending into Jerusalem, as you're pilgrimaging to Jerusalem, um, that it's a, it's drawing back the mind to God's covenant blessing and covenant promise to the house of David, uh, which then provides stability, uh, for all of God's people and the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 134 is the final song of ascent. Uh, and this one is geared towards like a liturgical occasion. Uh, perhaps it's maybe the opening or the closing of a festival, but if you read it, you'll see it's actually probably best suited for the close uh, of a festival. So it's the final song of a sense. It's kind of that last uh, journey to the city of Jerusalem. You'll see uh, it kind of, it's a short little psalm, uh, but you'll see that it actually is well suited for the close. It's like this liturgical reciting um, of the psalm uh, to, to kind of wrap up a celebratory thankfulness to God. Psalm 135 um, is a psalm that calls God's people to praise him for his majestic power. So we shift a little bit away from the Song of Ascents. We're going to find um, the last several psalms as we work towards the end of the book of Psalms really focuses on this idea of praise and worship, uh, worshiping God because of his sovereignty, things like that. So you'll see in Psalm 135 here um, that they're praising God for his majestic power uh, and that the, the, the power was displayed and the works that he did on, on behalf and for his people Israel. Each generation that sings this would strengthen their faith. Uh, and for us today, should even strengthen our faith and loyalty to the Lord and also deepen our gratitude toward him for the privileges we've been given as God's people. Um, this is not an entitled privilege, but it's it's faithful provision and favor. Um, it should then, this, the, the interesting thing about this is not, even as you read the psalm, it's really easy to read how celebratory it can be for God's people to be um, better, uh, but it's not really what it should be because when we recognize and have gratitude for the privileges and the favor and the provision of God, it should actually draw out a greater compassion for the Gentiles, those outside the faith um, who suffer from worshiping false idol idols. So I want to read just a small, a small portion, a small portion, a small portion of this. There's a small um, one. It's just, just verses 13 to 18. Uh, and it says this, Lord, your name endures forever. Your reputation, Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. And so this first portion, we see God's, the, the celebration for God's provision through all generations, for those who are faithful, for those who are God's people. Uh, and then it shifts in verse 15 here. It says, the idols of the nations are of silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Indeed, there is no breath in their mouths. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. And so it's easy to read that portion of the psalm and see it as a judgmental statement in the sense of, uh, woe to them, it's unfortunate to be them, thank God that we're not them. Um, but really the, the psalmist, as he's writing, it, it evokes this heart of compassion and the recognition that the, the hope of the nations apart from the, of the Gentile nations is in, in things made by human hands. It's, there's no breath, there's no life, there's no vitality. So they can't provide, they can't protect, they can't uh, do what God himself can do. And it's this compassionate plea and this compassionate uh, call to, to remember 
as God's people in recognizing who we are as his chosen ones, um, that we would then have compassion towards those who are not part of the family of God yet. Uh, so that's that's an important distinction to be made in Psalm 135, 13 to 18. Uh, Psalm 136 is a hymn calling God's people to worship the Lord and give thanks to him for his steadfast love because it endures forever. You're going to find in Psalm 136, there's going to be a line or two that says his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. That's the recurring theme here. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful Psalm. Um, and, and it gives reasons for that celebration. Um, but all of which anchor back to his steadfast love. Uh, Psalm 146, this is the the journey to the end. This is where we read in succession the last five books of the the uh, chapters of, I guess, the last five chapters of the book of Psalms. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, Psalm one forty six is a hymn calling God's people to praise Him because His reign uh, makes Him a sure hope for God's suffering people. Him sitting on the throne, Him being sovereign, is what draws a confidence in Him who is the provider and the sovereign King and ruler. Uh, and so it causes it's a reason to praise God. Psalm 147 is also a psalm that calls, again, God's people to praise him. But this time it focuses on the gratitude for the great work of building up Jerusalem, of establishing the city of God, uh, but also for the creator who sustains creation. Uh, so it's a dual uh, um, it's a dual focus of, of praising God is one who builds up his people in a city, but also one who created and sustains creation. Um, so you see two different facets of who God is and what he's what his power is able to do. Psalm 148 is a hymn of praise that calls on God's creatures to join in praising him from the heavenly hosts to heavenly bodies, to the inhabitants of the sea, the land, and to all mankind. It's a, it's a call to that everybody would come together and praise uh, God for who he is and what he's done. Psalm 149 is a hymn of praise that God calls on God's people to praise uh, the Lord for their special privileges. And when I say special privileges, I mean, it's the provision and the favor of being God's people. Um, where we can see throughout the Old Testament, uh, even up to this point, where God has promised to, I mean, go back to Micah 3, right? Your storehouses will be full. They'll be overflowing. Where he promises to provide what they need. He promises to let their, bring them to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. He promises them uh, and provides for them and protects them. Like there's there's these promises. So these are the privileges. So another way to understand is these promises that God has given, Um and so we celebrate God as God's people. There's blessing for obedience when we stay under the wing. I get like this picture of a mother hen running in the rain. It's like an old cartoon image I remember seeing as a kid. But all the little all the little chicks would like hide under the mama hen's wings as she put them out, and they would run to their to the shelter um, when it was pouring down rain. But she would protect them. When you stepped out from under the covering of the the wings, you were rained on and you became soaking wet. And so it's this picture of when we stay faithful to God's ways and God's will and God's purposes, he then can provide, and these special privileges come from that obedience, that's pro that proximity. Um, so they're celebrating God, they're praising God for these promises and privileges they get. Uh, and this one in particular in Psalm 149 is uh, one day that God's faithful will be his agents of judgment through the world. Um, and this is an interesting one too, because in modern lens, we look at it from the idea of judgment in a negative sense, I'm going to condemn people for their sin. Judgment does not is not the same as condemnation. I want to be very clear about this. Um, so the promise that we have from God 
as his people, the promise God's people in Israel had from him is that they would be the agents of judgment. They would be the one that would draw the standard that would hold people accountable to the standard in the world to come uh, and the day to come when God returns. And so there's this, this picture of standard keepers. We would have the plumb line, so to speak, like there's layers to the conversation here. It's not meant to be where you and I are empowered to go walk the earth and condemn people for their sin. Um, because again, go back to Psalm uh, 134, uh, 135, sorry, uh, where it is this idea of compassion, understanding God's grace and mercy should draw us and lead us to offer grace and compassion and mercy, not be condemning with that privilege that we've received from God. So that's the picture in Psalm 149. And then Psalm 150 is the final Psalm that closes out the entire book. If you remember, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, but I'm pretty sure it was last week. We opened up the book of Psalms chapter one, which is an introduction to the entire book. And then we close it in Psalm 150. Um, and I found no no better way um, to read this psalm. It is a, it is a it's closing the book where it's calling everything that has breath to praise the Lord with every kind of jubilant accompaniment. In other words, this is what it says, Psalm 150, one through six. It says, hallelujah, praise God in the sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his powerful acts, praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him with the trumpet blast, praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And it ends the book in that note, which I think is a fun way to end the book anyways. Like you said, what a, what a fitting way to wrap up the book of Psalms. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Uh, well, that wraps it up for the Bible study portion today, but we do want to talk about what we learned today. So I just, I just keep thinking about Psalm 119 in particular, but there's a couple other Psalms there as well. Um, but the idea of delighting in the law of the Lord. Um, and I think that looks, that looks different for us today as Christians. Um, we delight in the grace of Christ. That is what, um, that is what we have faith in. But I think recognizing the law for what it was is an important thing as well. Um, and it, it was a communication of godly character. It was a communication of the righteousness of God. Um, it's a communication of the way that God wants the world to work, right? And, it's, and so it's just kind of interesting to me, the idea of um, when God commands us not to kill, it's not just because he's like, ah, this occurs to me. This is a, this is a nice rule. No, it's because this, this is the way that God would have creation be, um, that we don't just go around killing people. When it says not to bear false witness, right? That's yeah. the idea of like God has created the world. Um, and unfortunately, we are, we're sinful, but God created the world to be truth. And that is what God values, right? Like when we think about the law of God, um, we shouldn't just let it kind of beat us down, but we should also... Or we, uh, sorry, in general, we should not let it beat us down um, because we have we have faith in Christ, but we should also recognize um, that the law and the rules communicate the beauty and the holiness of God. And sometimes I think as modern Christians, we don't meditate on that enough. Yeah, that's really good, man. Um, mine goes back to, I think as I was reading through this, like just the idea and, and the tension that I wrestle with at times, just being totally transparent if I can, um, how easy it is to fall victim to the picture of condemnation. Um, even as I was reading Psalm 135 again this week, I was kind of challenged in, in a statement I heard uh, recently that, that this idea of like sin should break our hearts, not make us angry and mean. Um, and, and when we're encountering sin in the lives of other people, 
it shouldn't, we shouldn't be angry. We shouldn't be frustrated. We shouldn't be mad at them and condemning them because of the choices people are making. When I say them, I'm talking about just people. Um, and it's easy to put a target or it's easy to put a, a point of finger. But the reality is like, based upon God's mercy given to us, like sin should break our hearts. When we see someone stuck in sin, when we see someone in addictive lifestyles or, or habits or choices, there shouldn't be condemnation. Now, there's there's a level of truth and transparency, but there should be this, it should evoke this compassion and this response of brokenheartedness where we're asking God to show up. And I think that's really the tone of Psalm 135 that I think is missed very easily. Um, and even in in the Psalms where we're, we're promised as God's people, um, and this promise was specifically to Israel. And so whether it actually applies to us to modern day or not, I don't know. Uh, but if we are if we are called to be God's judgment, be agents of God's judgment in the in the day to come when he when he returns. Again, it's it's this conversation of compassion. It's a conversation of man. Here's the standard, and and you missed it, or we missed it. Um, and so there should be this layer of of clarity and understanding for us today. Like, listen, there's people that do bad things all the time, and and do we justify those bad things? No, not at all. But there's people who are who are caught in cycles of sinfulness, who are caught in addictive lies and behavioral patterns that it should evoke a brokenhearted response to us. We should be brokenhearted in our own sinfulness. And so um, I think it's really important to remember as followers of Christ, the idea of we're meant to walk in the ways of Jesus and meant to offer compassion and mercy and truth. And, And I, the only people that I know, and this sounds like it's old cliche, but as I read through scripture, the main body of people that he oftentimes was frustrated and angry with are those who were supposed to have it figured out and right. Um, and the religious, but he offered grace even to them and he offered grace and truth to everybody. And so I think it's really important to remember the idea that sin should break our hearts, not make us angry and mean. Um, and so if our first response is to be angry and mean, then we need to stop, check our hearts, submit to God, ask for him to remove uh, the pride and the ego and the con- con- condemnation so we can walk fully in his grace and truth. And so I think that's been the biggest thing, uh, especially that Psalm specifically in Psalm 135 this week. Great one, Aaron. And uh, we actually had a question come in this let's week. Go. So let's answer that. All right. Question says, hello, good sirs of Let's Read the Bible. Two questions. Uh, number one, who was King Lemuel of Proverbs 31 and where does he fit into the great king's list? Uh, and then number two, Aaron, when are you going to write a book? <laughs> we've, we've, we have a couple of published Joke's authors. on you. I already wrote a couple books. There Just you kidding. Go. Uh, so yeah, he references that we have a couple of published authors on the Grove Leadership team as well. So no pressure. Well, so. I'll answer that question after we answer the first We're going to go the first one. Okay. So with King Lemuel, here's the deal. Uh, who knows? <laughs> so like it's it's uh, this is a very unsatisfactory answer um we we're not given any other context in the bible for who this could be um this could be a nickname of a king of israel or it could be um it, it could be just a foreign king who also had some wisdom there. So who knows? Uh, tradition is kind of and this is light tradition. This isn't like standard like Moses wrote the, uh, you know, the, the, the Pentateuch, right. Uh, but it's usually attributed to either Solomon or Hezekiah. Um, I think Hezekiah makes sense to me because, um, Solomon is, is cited other in other places in Proverbs mm-hmm. as like Proverbs of Solomon. And so maybe King, like maybe Lemuel is just, a, I forgot what it means. I should have written down what it means. That was stupid of me. Um, but anyway, it, 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 that could just be, have been a nickname for Hezekiah. Maybe he's learning these things. And so when he has his people, 
assemble the remaining Proverbs of Solomon. Maybe he puts this in at the end as his own wisdom to pass down. So gun to my head, I have to pick someone. I think it's Hezekiah, but it's very much like a, it could, it yeah. could be anyone who knows. Well, and I, I kind of did a little bit of just I, a quick Google search. So I don't even know the validity of the the website I'm about ready to quote because that's my source. So I'm going to say that. Nice. Um, but it's by a guy named Claude Mariottini. Cloud. Uh, but I, I mean, he gives a few different options for us. So I, I mean, the best case scenario is here's give you a bunch of different ideas. At the end of the day, like we really don't know. Lemuel has never been brought up in any other part of scripture except in Proverbs. And so there's not a lot of historical pictures or understanding who it was. Um, but there's a few options that that he gives referring to different scholars throughout history. Um, and the first was the, the name of the actual king was Mule, not Lemuel, um, because they believe that the Lamed at the beginning of the name Lemuel is a preparation, prep, preposition, sorry, oh. meaning two or four. Um, so then it would be not King Lemuel, but Mule. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't help much at all because there's not any other place in the Bible. Uh, if the name is related to Nemuel, a descendant of Simeon, uh, it could, it could fit there maybe. Um, but you see, yeah, so that's one option. The other option is, was another name actually for Solomon. Um, and it, it says that the, it's actually the Babylonian Talmud, uh, gives six names that were given to Solomon. One is Solomon, one is Jedediah, one is whatever that cute. Quoheleth. Oh, yeah. Another, Ecclesiastes. Yeah. yeah a ben, Ben, Ioko, Agur, and Lemuel. Um, and so there's potentially names. It's just another name for Solomon. Um, Lemuel is another name for Sol- that when translated means towards God. Lemo L is, that, there is you go. That's what it means. Um, so this potential could be another name for Solomon. Um, it was not the name of a person, uh, is another option here. Jewish tradition holds that Lemuel was a poetic name for Solomon. Yeah. Um, so you choose Hezekiah, but tradition so far is pointing more towards uh, Solomon. Oh yeah, I buck tradition a little so bit. So Lemuel was also was potentially king of Massa. Um, Massa was one of the descendants of Ishmael and the leader of the Ishmaelite clans. So there's a potential it could be him. Um, and uh, that was the last option there. So uh, really, at the end of the day, we don't know. Um, we do know that it's a legitimate source because it's within the the manuscripts that we have for scripture. And so that's a big deal, but um, we don't really know who, if it is Solomon, um, he would fit in the great Kings list by where Solomon is. So um, if it's Hezekiah, we haven't ranked Hezekiah. So we're not going to say that just yet. Um, Cause the Hezekiah is still alive people. Okay? It's true. He's kicking. So, um, but that's kind of the, like, it is such a wide scope. All of those are several scholars out having different ideas of what it could mean. Uh, just trying to understand the person itself. So uh, the second part of the question is, we've ha- when am I going to write a book? Um, and my easy answer is when Jesus tells me to. So Boom. Um, I'm not, here's the thing. If you've done anything over the last, how many of years since I've been a part of the podcast community, uh, I'm not well spoke. Uh, I am very application driven. That's how I'm wired. Um, so a book that I write, if God opens a door, or challenges me or tells me to write, uh, will be written when he tells me that. Cause, uh, the work Evan put in to write the book he wrote is pretty remarkable. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure I would enjoy that painstaking process. Um, and I know you are working on the idea of another book, but that yeah. won't come out for a while. Not so a while. anyways, but that's, that's a good question. We do have some published authors, uh, on the Grove leadership team. Uh, and that's awesome. I love it and I celebrate it. So, um, but I'm, I'm, I don't feel the compelling 
force of the compelling call to write just yet. I guess also just to give them a quick plug, it's Jen Irving and Megan Monterosa. Yeah. So if you want to see what, if you, if you didn't know, they yeah. wrote stuff too. So yeah. Interested. Jen Irving wrote a, few, a couple of different books, um, As My Mind Unwinds and As My Mind Winds Up, which are mental health, anxiety, uh, incredible, incredible resources, processing and navigating practically how how to, how, to, how to work through those moments and how to work through and create uh, healthier structures in your lives. Uh, and then Megan and Jen co-authored a book called Help I'm Saved, uh, which is a new believer's journey. Uh, after you say yes to Jesus, what's next? And trying to understand the basics, the protocol, the foundations of faith, um, and establishing the right disciplines. Uh, and they're great books as well. So if you are, if you are looking for resources like that, by all means, uh, I can shout those two ladies out all day long just as much as I can shout Evan out. So... There you be. Well, that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find our other resources on our website, grove.church. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. And hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.